Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to take your copies of the scriptures this morning and open to the book of Exodus, chapter 39. Exodus, chapter 39. I'm going to start reading in verse 32 of Exodus 39. So out of respect and reverence for God's word, would you stand with me as I read this morning? And when I get to the end of the chapter, verse verse 43, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together... We will say thanks be to God, because we are thankful for God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of the tanned ram skins, and goatskins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold, and its lamps with the lamps set, and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar, and its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and all the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priests, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests." According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
symphony is an elaborate musical composition for a full orchestra commonly made up of four different movements. The last movement in a classical symphony is often the recapitulation or the repeating of themes that the audience has already heard in the first three movements. It pulls all those pieces together in a climactic form in order to bring the symphony to a satisfying closure at the end. I think sometimes we have a hard time appreciating a symphony. It's long, it takes focus and attention, it takes a mind engaged in order to pick up on what is happening. Truth be told, our attention spans have a hard time following a whole symphony. That's why we like short songs. Three, four minutes, I can handle that. You want me to sit through a half an hour long song, an hour long song? Eh. You have a pillow, blanket, I can take a nap. We have moved to the end of the book of Exodus. And if you noticed, we skipped over a few chapters. 35, 36, 37, and 38, and even much of 39. You can find all of this material in what I've already preached on, what we've already covered in chapters 25 through 31. And really, the end of chapter 39 serves as a summary for this section of Scripture. For 35 through 39, this last piece of text serves as a summary of that. But even more than that, it also serves like the fourth movement of a symphony, where now as we come to the end of the book of Exodus, what Exodus does is it picks up on all of those themes that we've already heard in the entire book of the Exodus, and it repeats them. It's a recapitulation of these themes, so that it brings the book to this climactic and satisfying closure at the end. Exodus has been revealing to us the glory of Yahweh through the redemption of his people and the promise of his covenant that would bring him to dwell in their midst so they would know that they are his people and that he is their God. And there is some good news for us as we reach the end of chapter 39. Because if we remember looking back in the book of Exodus... There was a point when Israel's covenant with Yahweh looked to have been irreparable. It was broken beyond repair. Looked like there was no way for them to recover. We like to talk about the unconditional nature of certain things. So we might talk about the unconditional nature of God's love. His love is an unconditional love. We might talk about the unconditional nature of God's grace. Maybe sometimes we like to talk about those things because it takes the pressure off of us. God loves you no matter what. God's grace is there for you no matter what. There is even an unconditional nature to some of the covenants that God makes with people. Like you think about the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Do you remember that? God promises Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to 
make your descendants great. They're going to be like the stars of the sky or like the sand of the sea. You're going to have a great name. Kings are going to come from you. I'm going to give you this great land. You are going to be a great blessing. And then God tells Abraham, Abraham, take a heifer, take a ram, take a goat, take a young turtle dove and a pigeon. The bigger animals, God told Abraham to cut them in half, cut them in two down the middle, and to set them opposite each other, and then take the two birds and put one on either side as well to make this pathway, this bloody pathway between these animals that have been sacrificed. And then the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over Abraham. As if to say, Abraham, you're not going to have anything to do with keeping the promises of this covenant. All of these promises that I've made, they depend upon me. And then you know what God did? He appeared as a smoking pot and as a fiery torch, and God walked down the bloody path, saying, in effect, if this covenant is broken, let it be to me like these animals. Let it be like I am going to be cut apart, like these animals have been cut apart, if I break the promise of this covenant. That is an unconditional covenant. God was saying it all depends upon him to keep the covenant. In Exodus, however, we have a different kind of covenant. We have a conditional covenant. And we see this in Exodus 19. So if you just flip back there a few pages in your Bible to Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed, what? Obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So here is this conditional nature of this covenant. Israel, you need to obey my voice. Whatever I say to you, you shall obey me. And do you remember then what they say? Verse 8 of chapter 19. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's great, isn't it? What a great promise that they're making to the Lord. Everything, Lord, that you said, we will do it 100%. In fact, flip over a few more pages forward to Exodus 20, verse 20. Now the Lord has given the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of the Lord, the Ten Words from the Fire. Exodus 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear Him, or that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So here it is. Moses said, all of these commandments have been given so that you might fear the Lord and so that you might obey Him. You've been given ample motivation to obey the Lord, to fear Him. And what happens again? Well, Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice. So here it is, this unifying voice, one heart, one mind, 
one purpose, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you ever have these great intentions? You make these great promises of what you are going to do or how you're going to live. Or what happened with Israel? Well, we come to Exodus 32, don't we? Where all the words the Lord has spoken, they don't do. They sinned against the Lord. They fashioned a golden calf with the help of Aaron. And so they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They explicitly broke the commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, nor worship it, nor serve it. They sinned in many ways, but maybe we could sum it up the best by saying they disobeyed the Lord. Was there any way back from this disastrous event? Would they be cut off from the Lord? Would they be wiped out from the face of the, of the earth for their rebellion and their apostasy? There was judgment and death for some for the consequences of their sin, but there was also renewal and restoration. The Lord renewed the covenant the people had broken. He restored the relationship by reassuring the people that He was still with them. He had not left them. He had shown Moses His glory. He had proclaimed His name so the people could know that He is the Lord who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is the Lord who forgives sin. And what happens with the people when the Lord renews the covenant? What happens to the people when they see the reflective glory of the Lord upon the face of Moses? Do they say, hey, we're going to live however we want to now. We can sin that grace may abound. If God is abounding in steadfast love, what better way for Him to show that to us than for us to live however we want to live. Too many people are unwilling to take God at His word. God did not just renew the covenant. God did not just show His glory to His people through the face of Moses that was shining because He was talking with God face to face he did not do that so the people could just live however they wanted to live, in rebellion. He wanted them to be growing in obedience, in greater dependence, and persevering in their faith in Him. I think that we should take great comfort as we think about these verses this morning, because I think we can see ourselves in the life of Israel. We might make those promises. All that you say, Lord, we will do. We will be faithful. We will obey. And then what happens? And then we fail. And sometimes fail miserably. And sometimes fail again. And sometimes the very thing that we say, Lord, I promise I will never do that again, is the very thing that we do. 
And thanks be to God, it's not up to us to renew ourselves. But it's up to our God to renew us and that he paves a way forward for us to obey him. He paves a way forward for us to listen to his word and to grow in his word and to live according to his word. God is so renewing us day by day and transforming us day by day so that we obey Him more. Not so that we can live any way that we want more. And so what does this text, these verses, tell us about living in obedience to God's Word? What does it look like? Well, three truths we can glean from this text this morning. If you have your bulletin, you can find this outline, I think, on the back of it there if you find that helpful. Number one, living in obedience to God's word is not to be partial. Living in obedience to God's word is not to be partial. That is incomplete, selective. The third American president, Thomas Jefferson, thought that he could fix scripture. You know you're in trouble if you think you can fix scripture. He went about editing the four Gospels of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He went about editing those Gospels. And he actually took a knife. And he would cut pieces out of his Bible that he thought were unbelievable. You couldn't believe these things. And so he took a knife and he cut those sections of Scripture out of his Bible. His Gospels were filled with holes, but in so cutting up the Gospels of Jesus, he made it so that no one could be whole. In fact, one historian writes this, Jefferson's is a hard Gospel. The blind do not see, the lame do not walk, the multitudes will remain hungry if loaves and fishes must be multiplied to feed them. Even those who look to Jesus for forgiveness of sins are left wanting. The Jefferson Bible leaves Jesus dead. And a partial Bible is no Bible. Picking and choosing what you want to be a part of Scripture is of no help and offers no hope to anyone. When it comes to the commands of the Lord, how He tells us to live, we do not get to decide which commands we will keep and which commands we will cut out and ignore. We are not to obey the commands of the Lord we agree with or obey the commands of the Lord that we like or the commands of the Lord that fit into our lifestyle, or the commands of the Lord that we have time for? No, we are to obey all of the Lord's commands. Nothing is to be left undone. All of His commands are to be obeyed because He is the sovereign Lord who has authority and rules over all. We can see how the Israelites strove to obey the Lord's commandments in their entirety with this Simple word, all, in our text. You see that here? Verse 32. Thus, all the work 
of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to what? All that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And then, skipping down to verse 42, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done what? All the work. Those instructions the Lord had given to Moses about the construction of the tabernacle, which Moses then relayed to the people, they were completely obeyed. Nothing was left out. They didn't pick and choose what they wanted to do or what they thought was the best or what was really necessary. And here is a small snapshot of a greater truth God's people are to live by. We cannot claim to be living in obedience to God's word if we are knowingly and deliberately cutting some of God's commandments out of our lives. There is never a reason or an excuse as to why we might be exempt from some of the Lord's commands. Well, Lord, you know, this command doesn't really apply to me. Maybe there's a loophole. Maybe there's some way out. Maybe there's some way that I don't really have to obey this command. Is there a commandment of God's word that doesn't apply to you? Which commandments are we going to cut out? Which commandments of the Lord are you cutting out right now? Turn with me in your Bibles for a moment to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That sounds great, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to abide or remain or stay fixed in the fullness of Christ's love? That's where I want to live. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want to know the greatness of Christ's love in your life. You want to abide in Christ's love. Obey his commandments, what he says. All of them. And then you will know the fullness of his joy. Or how about turn to 1 John. 1 John. Towards the end of the New Testament. First John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Whoever says, I know him, that is, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you hear it? If we know God, we are those who keep his commandments. We are those who walked and lived the way that Jesus walked and lived. We keep his word, and so then the love of God is perfected in us. How about one more verse? Chapter 5 of 1 John, same book, page or two over for you probably. Or scroll down with your finger, however you're following along. John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. By this we know the love, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you ever feel as if the commandments of the Lord are burdensome? Do you ever feel as if they are weighing you down? If they are, it's not because of the Lord. They are for your joy. They are for your flourishing. They are for your good. They are not for you to be weighed down with great burdens. Do we believe that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome? Do we believe that they are for our benefit? This is not to say that we will at some point keep it perfectly. We will fail. We will sin. We will confess our sins. We will be forgiven if we confess our sins and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Yet it is our desire to keep his commandments completely. Lord, if there is any way in me that I am not keeping your commandments in their entirety, please work in me. Please show me. The overall direction of our life is total obedience. Is that your desire? Here's a test, perhaps, to see if that's truly your desire. Does anyone in your life have the ability to say to you that you've disobeyed God? And that you are willing to accept it? Does anyone have the ability to say, you know, those words that you said, you know, that thing that you did, that wasn't honoring the Lord, that disobeyed the Lord, and that you would be willing to accept that and listen to that and say, you're right. I disobeyed. And here's what I, I'm going to propose. And this is the reason why I propose this as a test. Because if there is no one in your life who has the ability to say that to you, does God even have the right to say that to you? Does he 
have the ability in your life to call you on your disobedience and for you to respond. It's easy for us to say, oh, I'll listen to God. God calls me on my disobedience. Yeah, definitely. But someone else, no thanks. Don't want that. Perhaps those two scenarios, other people calling us on our disobedience and God calling us on our disobedience, aren't that far apart. Number two. Living in obedience to God's word is to be precise. Living in obedience to God's word is to be precise. One of the common definitions for sin is missing the mark. Like an archer aiming his bow at a target who misses the mark. Do we ever consider the life we are to live in obedience to the Lord is to be precise, exact, detailed in nature? Obedience does not happen by accident in a vague or confused way. Whoops, I just accidentally obeyed God. I don't think that's the way it happens. Obedience is deliberate. It is intentional. Like if my wife were to ask me why I love her, she wants specifics. She wants precision. She doesn't want me to say, I don't know, I just generally love you. No, she wants my love to be exact. A, a general love for my wife turns out to be no love at all. What does our Lord want from our obedience? Precision, exactness. He wants deliberate and intentional obedience. Look at verse 43. And Moses saw all the work. The word saw in some translations is also inspected or examined. So it is a detailed look. All the pieces and parts of the tabernacle that Israel brought to Moses, he inspected them. He made sure that everything was precisely what the Lord had commanded. No shortcuts, no skimping, everything exactly the way the Lord had told them to make it. Like when someone checks your work. Is it acceptable? Is it correct? Again, how do you feel about that? No one needs to check my work. It's good. You can trust it. It's dependable. Moses inspected all of the work. And what did he find? Look at that verse. And Moses saw, saw all the work and... Behold, sit up, take notice, pay attention. This is something great. It's said with a sense of rejoicing. Praise the Lord. They did everything just as the Lord had commanded them to do. They didn't take matters into their own hands. They didn't make their own way. They didn't think they knew better than God. In obeying with this kind of precision, they help hold up the Lord as holy. He is the one who is worthy of precise obedience. So let us obey him with precision. And finally, number three, living in obedience to God's word is to be relational. Living in obedience to God's word is to be relational. You see that last sentence there of verse 43. Then Moses blessed them. Why did Moses bless them? 
because they had obeyed. We're not given many specifics as to what this blessing looked like. It could have been a prayer. It could have been a pronouncement over the people. Like in Numbers chapter 6, the blessing that the Levites were to put upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Such a blessing like that, which places the name of the Lord upon the people. What this blessing does is it sets them apart as God's people. They are His. They are consecrated to Him. They are to live in right relationship with Him. And there is a sense where Moses blessing the people is to reassure the people of God's divine favor and grace. God approved of their obedience. Do we long for that? God, we want your approval for our obedience. Like what Jesus tells in the parable of Matthew 25, when the master says to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Living in obedience to the word of God is not done by us with some cold indifference. It's not done with reluctant duty. We need to see our obedience is part of how we live in relationship with the Lord. In fact, we are even able to obey. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6 for a moment as we end our time together. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. What then, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Look at the tra trajectory of God's people. From slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness. And being slaves of righteousness is to elicit joy from our lives. Listen to what this commentator, Alec Motyer, says. Obedience is ever the key to our enjoyment of the Lord's salvation. Do you know the enjoyment of the Lord's salvation? Are you experiencing the enjoyment of the Lord's salvation? If not, 
Why not? Is it because you're not obeying the Lord? Is there disobedience that might be keeping you from enjoying the Lord's salvation? In fact, this is what David said in Psalm 51, 21. When he had sinned so egregiously, committing adultery, committing murder, he says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He had lost that joy because of his disobedience and sin. Israel wasn't saved because of their obedience. They were saved because of God's grace. They were saved to obey in order to enjoy their salvation. And so similarly for us, we're not saved because of our obedience. We are saved by God's grace. We are saved in order to obey so that we might enjoy the Lord's salvation that he has so graciously given to us. May the joy of his salvation fill up our lives because we know what it means to live in obedience to God's word each and every day of our life so that he might be glorified. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would live by it. I pray that we would obey it. Father, I pray that we would know that your commandments are not burdensome, but that they are meant for our good and for our joy. Father, if there is someone here this morning who says, I desperately want to obey, but I can't. may they realize that they need Jesus Christ to save them so that they can obey. Father, I pray that we would not pick and choose which commandments we want to obey, but that we would obey all of your commandments, that we would desire to obey all of your commandments. Forgive us for when we fall and fail. Forgive us when we do not keep the promises that we have made. But let us return to you, the one who makes promises and keeps every one of his promises, so that we may know that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. May your faithfulness support us as we seek to be obedient. We pray in Jesus' name.